I feel like that is faster than last year. Oh man, or quicker than last year. Hey guys, nothing. Oh, I'm, I'm going to start over. Brandon, come back up. We're going to redo it. Play the bumper video again. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm the college young adult pastor here at Grace Point. And there's a lot of people here, um, which both encourages the crap out of me. I'm so excited and scares me to death um, not in a very good way, in a very good way. It's been six months. Um, for those of you who are returning, who've come back, um, we missed you. We love you. Thank you for just deciding, as Brendan said again, to, to join us. For you freshmen, uh, if this, is there, how many freshmen in here we got? Any? Oh, there we go. Okay. Welcome. Can we give just the freshmen a little bit of welcome? Give a little like, all right. Thanks for joining. Also, and I, I would do this, but I know there's less amount of numbers for you young adults. For it's your first time, I was going to have you stand up and come up here and introduce yourself, but I'm not going to do that. That's super aggressive. No, but freshmen, welcome. Welcome to Oasis. Welcome to the college and young adult arm of Grace Point Westland Church. Here at Grace Point, our desire as a staff our desire for us, even as followers of Jesus, is to encounter grace, to grow in grace, and to give grace. And in everything that we do, we want to try to pursue that and push into that. So at Oasis, as a young adult college ministry, that's what we try to do. We do that through our Sunday night services, our small groups. We do that through events. But before we get really rolling, this is always like the hardest. I shouldn't say this. This is my second year. So I shouldn't say this is always like the hardest. But I remember last year getting to this night before kickoff and thinking like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Because kickoff's this big ordeal. We, we spent like two weeks in the summer planning our sermon series throughout the year. And it's like, but there's this one night that's just random and weird. Got to pick something. I don't want to screw it up. I, I have to try because it's my job. And I love you guys. I want to give you something decent. And so we're just, I'm thinking all the time, like, oh, I don't know what I'm preaching about, about August 23rd. It's going to come. People are going to be here. They're going to be excited. It's going to be the first time they're, they're back or, or with us. What are we going to talk about? And one morning, on a Wednesday morning as staff, we pray. And Pastor Steve is our senior lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. And there's a phrase that he said that just caught my attention. And he was praying, and he said something along the lines of this, is God is not asking or searching for perfect people God desires most willing people. And so I thought, oh, that's it. Boom. I like, I had to stop praying, which was horrible, and like make a note because I was going to forget about it. I said, be willing. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about be willing tonight. Before we do that, I'm going to introduce you guys to my family. I wish they were here. Um, my kids are young. They go to bed early. So if they were here right now, it'd be terrible for my wife to try to get them home. So there's going to be a picture up on the screen. This is my fam. Thank you. I was hoping one person, usually then it starts the thing, but no one cares. Brennan's got my back. This is my family. Um, wife, Abby. Our oldest, Wesley, is on your right. Uh, second is Alice on the way left. And then the middle is Otis. And Otis was born five weeks ago, which is a very young child, a very young baby. Uh, so my wife is on maternity leave now. It's been really great. If you were here this morning, <laughs> at church, we did dedications and we dedicated Otis this morning, which is just to mean like, hey, we as parents are going to say we're going to raise our kid to know Jesus. And if you were here, what you saw is the perfect personalities between at least my two oldest kids. Wesley is like this very sweet, gentle, like I call him the follower because he's not going to lead anyone, but he'll follow you to the, he's loyal to death. Like he will die for you. I swear, you, you don't know him, you never met him, go up to him, ask him to do anything, he's going to do it, which could be dangerous because 
If you ask him to do a bad thing, he's going to do it. But he's a super sweet kid. And he's sitting right and standing right in front of me. And he's just like holding my thumbs and we're having a great time, whatever. And then my daughter is me. And we're psycho. I mean, to an extent. We, we have a lot of energy. We're very extroverted. Um, and she was sitting over here, beautiful long blonde hair, beautiful blue eyes. She had a just nice, she looks great in green. She had this green dress on. And if you were sitting in the front row or on this side of the room, you also noticed that she had frozen underwear on <laughs> because she kept lifting up her dress. I'm going to talk a ton this year about my children. So that's just a snapshot into, into their lives. My daughter is me. We're crazy. We like to have fun. We don't listen well, which isn't great. My son is my wife. Very loyal. Great people. Like just the sweetest people in the universe and in the world. You're just going to hear a lot of stories about that. So this is my family. And then Otis, we don't know. Otis, I think, is going to be a tank. He's the biggest of the three we've had. He's going to be a bruiser, which I'm super pumped for. <laughs> Personally. I just see him like, he's, he's going to beat up a lot of people. Um, and then share Jesus with them. So I think that's okay. So tonight, be willing. What does it look like to be willing? Like I said, my wife is on maternity leave. And being on maternity leave, I, in my job, have a lot of freedom to, I'm not going to say do whatever I want, but like the running joke for pastors is like, oh, you work Sundays. What else do you do during the week? Not a lot. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm on a roll. Dude. I miss you guys so much. You have no idea. Oh, I love you guys so much. But there are times where I'm going to go home in the afternoons and hang out with Abby. She, she and she doesn't mind me sharing this, but with her first two kids, she struggled with postpartum depression. And it lasted for six weeks. And it was really, it was probably the toughest parts we've had in our marriage. And so what's awesome about the job that I have is I get to go home and be with her and, and hang out with her. And so she doesn't have to be alone with Otis and the baby. And I get to take care of the baby every once in a while and haven't tried feeding him yet because it's not how it works. Figured that out with the first two kids. And so we go home and she is an Amazing Race fan. Anyone else watch Amazing Race? I, it might be too old. No, we got it? Amazing Race fans? Okay, how about just like athletic people, which I'm not one. Like runners. So we got runners in here, hikers, going to mountains. No, mar who, who's ran a marathon or half marathon in life? Give me something. Hey, okay, so we got some people in here, right? <laughs> My wife and her mom are insane fans of what is, was, I don't know if it's even still going, but of the Amazing Race. When she's growing up in, in her house, they'd watch the Amazing Race all the time. Every week, come on, they watch Amazing Race. Two partners gather together, racing across the world, got to beat a bunch of other teams. August 14th, which was just a few weeks, no, not even a few weeks ago, like nine days ago. <laughs> Math is hard. Nine days ago on Amazon Prime, a show came out hosted by Bear Grylls, who's a boss, called The World's Toughest Race. And I don't know how many of you guys have heard of this thing called an eco-challenge. Anyone? Anyone heard of something called an eco-challenge? Okay, this is not going to hit home then, but we're still going to try. There's a thing called an eco-challenge where these teams, four-person teams, sign up for these races that happen apparently all the time. This is the first time I've heard about it. And they go to different spots in the world. And you sign up your team, and usually it's teams of, of same people in the same country. So they're all like, okay, you got an American team. Or like, in this case, out of the 66 teams, there was like a dozen American teams. You have Australian teams and Canadian teams. You get the gist. The New Zealand teams are like the top notch. They are the eco-challenge bosses. They crush every single year. This <laughs> eco-challenge called the world's toughest race happened in Fiji. 
And what happens here is a race of trekking across highlands and lowlands and grasslands. There's rafting and paddle boating. They have to hike miles upon miles upon miles. They have to hike. And this specific race was an 11-day race of 416 miles. Yeah. I think the most I've walked in a day is like 12. And I almost died. (laughs) I remember it very, very specifically. Horrible. 416 miles. And they race other teams. They paddle and raft across oceans. I mean, not full oceans, but there's spots of an ocean that they're in and they got to go to a different island. And I don't know how they do it because the wind is insane. And the waves are crazy. But they race these other teams. I'm, gonna spoil, I'm not going to spoil it. It's only nine days old. That'd be horrible. We crushed it. We, we ran through this show like nobody's business. But there was a team in a specific... I'm going to say person and persons that caught my eye in watching the world's toughest race. The craziest race you could ever sign up for. My wife is such a fanatic that she told us that we were going to sign up for the Perusian Eco Challenge next year, which is not going to happen because I would die just training for it. (laughs) But one of these teams is called Team Endure. And you can throw up that picture, Shannon. And on this picture, you're going to see a man named Mark Macy and his son, Travis. Mark has been doing eco-challenges for 25 years. He's 68 years old. So it didn't even start until he's after 40. A year ago, Mark was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And he had a team of three other 60-year-old men, and they were the oldest team in the field, going to try to complete this eco-challenge. And his son named Travis was on another team who was one of, known as the elite teams, like a chance to actually win and beat the New Zealand team. And after Mark got diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, he talked to his son and Travis decided to leave this elite team and join his dad on a team to try to finish an 11-day, 416-mile race in Fiji. Now, with early onset Alzheimer's, what ends up happening is your (laughs) memory, your brain starts to dysfunction. You're not able to remember how to do simple tasks. And so it's been a year, but it was progressing so aggressively that when the race started, Travis knew that he was going to have to be and walk step by step with his dad because his dad in the morning wouldn't know how to tie his shoes. He has to remind his dad as they're going through this 11-day race to remember to drink water. But this guy's a boss. He's an absolute beast. He was one of the best at going up up mountains and up hills for long periods of time because he was in such incredible shape. But he had to have a team around him who was willing to walk step by step with him because he didn't know what was going to happen or if he was going to even remember where he was at at a specific moment. Mark and Travis knew entering the eco challenge that they most likely weren't going to finish. That there were going to be certain tasks and things ahead of him that he wasn't going to be able to do. But they were willing to try. They were willing to push through hours upon hours of nearly getting heat stroke through dramatic heat during the day, of needing to stay warm in the middle of the night when temperatures dropped, of canoeing and rafting through oceans and and rivers or paddle boarding for hours. There was one time they had to make what's called the Billy Billy boat out of these bamboo sticks. They had to make it. And I think they had to raft like 40 kilometers which I don't know what that is in miles because I'm not super smart. 
they did it. And ultimately, they didn't finish the race. But for him, it didn't matter. For Mark, all he cared about was he knew physically he was gonna be able to do at least the majority of it. It didn't matter if he was gonna do it perfectly or accomplish it perfectly, he was willing to try. God chooses imperfect people who are willing and ready to be used by him for him. He's not waiting for you to figure out perfectly what it looks like to trust him or serve him. He's not waiting for you to perfectly understand how to work relationships well and friendships perfectly, how to know how to go through conflict resolution perfectly. God desires imperfect people who are willing to be used, to be molded by him. So my question for you guys, not just tonight and not even just this year, but for your life, will you be willing? Will you be willing to face the tough situations, circumstances, and trials that are going to come your way? Will you be willing to trust God even when you don't have answers? Even when you don't know what the outcome might be? Even when you have certain expectations and those expectations might fail or might drop? To be willing is to be ready and to be eager at any moment. Again, not knowing how to do something perfectly or to do it well even, but just to be willing. Will you this year be willing? This summer, Pastor Steve, who again I said is our lead pastor, our senior pastor, was going through the book of John. It's the Gospel of John in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, fourth book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, we give away Bibles. So go to the next step table, which is in the foyer, and we'll give you a Bible. We were going through John this summer, and as I'm reading John, I just, there was one thing I noticed that, I don't know, for me jumped out that was really, really cool. And I'm going to share that in a little bit, but I was thinking, okay, great. I want to talk about being willing. What does that look like? How am I going to encourage people? I got to like use scripture because I'm a pastor and that's what pastors do. We have to use the Bible. And I was reading through John. I noticed a man named Philip. Philip was an apostle. He was a disciple of Jesus. And there's not a lot that we know or even understand about Philip. In fact, Philip, the apostle, is only mentioned in the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, just when the writer is naming who all the 12 apostles are. Except in John, there's four stories, there's four moments where we get a glimpse, a little bit, into who the apostle Philip is. And so I'm going to use these four stories because what I see in Philip is a man, even when he comes up against overwhelming situations, was still willing to try because he was all out for God. He was a devout follower of God and he was following Jesus. And even in moments where he came up into situations he didn't know what to do or that seemed really overwhelming or out of his depth, he was willing to try. So first one, we're gonna go through four. First one's in John. If you have a Bible, open up your phone, open up that app. John 1. Verses 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So here we have this apostle named Philip. 
And in the very first verse, what we see is that Jesus went and found Philip. It's the first time this summer reading this gospel. I've read this gospel multiple times in my life that I've noticed that Jesus went and found someone. He went and looked for someone specifically to ask to follow him. It's the only one recorded in scripture that we see Jesus going to and specifically seeking out a disciple. I don't know if coming in here, you know Jesus tonight or not. But know that for your entire life up to this moment, Jesus has been searching for you. And I believe tonight that if you have not given your life to him, he's found you. And for all of us, as we've given our lives to Jesus, he sought us out and he found us. Just think of the, the savior of the world who through his life, death, and resurrection fixed a relationship with God that was broken because of sin, sought you out because he loved you and he found you. Just put yourself in that moment and in that reality, in that truth. Think if you're Philip. To have who was being called at the time by John the Baptist, who most likely Philip was following, the savior of the world, the lamb of God, has come to take away the sins of the world. Come and seek you out and find you. And the first thing that Philip does isn't to just drop everything and, and stay so attached to Jesus. He was so excited that this person who John the Baptist called the Lamb of God, Savior of the world, came and sought him out and said, follow me. He went to one of his friends, Nathaniel, and invited him along with the ride, for the ride. There are gonna be moments in your life where God is asking you to be willing just to come and see. What we see in the scripture is Philip coming to Nathaniel. Nathaniel asks this question, hey, so Jesus of Nazareth, Philip says, Jesus of Nazareth is here. He's the one who they call the Messiah, the anointed. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world from Nazareth. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? How can anything good come from Nazareth? I like to make the, I'm from here on South Dakota. If you don't know where that's at, that's an hour. What is that, west of here? I like to say, our people have told me to my face. I didn't think that anything good came out of Huron. It's hurtful. I don't like it. So I can't imagine what Jesus thought when Nathaniel said, can anything good come out? Anyway, side note, doesn't matter. But he comes to Philip and says, hey, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? That doesn't make sense. He's not the savior of the world. And Philip doesn't have a good response for him. Philip doesn't have a perfect answer of like, it doesn't matter about the town. Like this guy's the Messiah. He's the son of God. Like, let's go. Because he probably didn't know how to respond to him. There's sometimes in our life that we come up against questions that we just don't know, have like the answer to, especially from friends who potentially don't know Jesus. And I think all God is asking us to do is be willing to come and see, come and see Jesus. And in the process, as you are learning to grow in your faith, invite others along for the ride with you and the journey with you. To come and see isn't about knowing the answers to all the questions that we're gonna come up with. It's about being willing to go to Jesus and invite other people along with us in the process. Be willing to come and see. Will you be willing? I uh, worked at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge when I lived in the cities with my wife for three years. And when we were there, there's a lot of times that I'd have conversations with some of the teens who were struggling with addiction that had these questions that I think I could have answered well, but ultimately it didn't matter what the answer to the question is. It was the classic questions of like, okay, well, if God loves me so much, how come there's evil in the world? 
which we're actually going to address this spring. So come back. <laughs> I just wanted to say, like, if you're still here, but that made me sad and my heart hurts a little bit right now. Yeah, right? <sighs> like, there's just these questions that these, these teens would ask me, and they're sometimes like, I think I have an answer, but ultimately what this teen needs is not the answer to that question. He needs Jesus. Because I see a kid who's struggling with peace and with joy, who has an issue and a struggle with his identity, doesn't know who he is or the purpose that he has for his life, and I know it's Jesus because that's what I've experienced. So instead of answering a question that I may or may not have gotten right, I said, listen, while you're in Teen Challenge, and even when you graduate and you go home, just be willing to pursue Jesus, to come and see. Will we be willing to come and see Jesus, not having to have all the answers to the questions. Be willing to come and see. Second one, we run into Philip and the disciples following Jesus. And this is like kind of like a fun story that people tell. And I think I like, for me, I know I've passed over Philip's like interaction in this story, but it's when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And contextually in this story, it's in John 6. If you want to go there, go ahead and open up John 6. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going to start yet. But what's happening, he says 5,000, and in this time, they only accounted the men. So in reality, there was more like 15 or 20,000 people there instead of just 5,000. So they get to this point. Jesus just gets done uh, teaching and answering questions against the Pharisees and the leaders, uh, religious leaders of the law uh, of the day. And he goes and he tries to get some rest time, but People are so attracted to him that they start to follow him after he crosses the Sea of Galilee. And as they follow him, these huge crowds of people, and I'm going to start in verse 5, chapter 6, says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? 20,000 people. You've been following Jesus for a while. You don't have a job. You don't have money. And you're the person that Jesus picks out and says, Hey, where are we getting these people food? Figure it out. But he asked this only to test him, for he already had in his mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Half a year's wages to buy enough bread that everyone would be able to have a bite. I think this gives us a little indication of what kind of man and what kind of person, I should say, Philip is. I think Philip is a logical, analytical person. If there's a problem ahead of him, he's going to try and figure out what the problem is logically, empirically, meaning he's observed something and there's a specific answer to this question. I'm going to figure out anyone like, my wife is like this. I'm not like this. Well, she likes to think, think, think things through and have an answer for absolutely everything. I think Philip is like this. And the reason I think that is that Philip was ready with an answer as Jesus was asking the question. So I think what Philip was doing, I think he was a smart man, is he was literally calculating all the people and figuring out exactly how much money is it going to cost to feed these people that we don't have. So in his head, as Jesus is asking him, hey, where are we going to get bread for these people? He's going, well, let's see. There's this many people. Even if we had the money, which we don't, we'd have to buy this much bread, which we don't about half a year's wages, like that's just impossible. It's not going to happen. The only solution that Philip was able to offer up was a solution that was impossible. He did his calculations. He made his equation. And what he came up with was an answer that was impossible. 
Can't be done. Can't be done. I think what God desires for us in the question of will we be willing is there's gonna be moments in our life and I think there's absolutely gonna be moments this year and there already have been that we've experienced where God is asking us to be willing to look past the impossible. Be willing to sometimes throw a little logic out the window and try to trust me. We do this, right? I mean, I, I know I do this. I'm not this kind of person, but I do this sometimes. I try to figure out, okay, how can I fix and solve this problem? Oh, I can't because it's impossible. It becomes impossible because as we're figuring out the calculations in our head, we've decided to leave God out of the equation. When we reach the point and our answer and our response and we've come up with that's impossible, most likely what's happened is we've left God out of the equation. You don't know that she can be healed. It's stage four pancreatic cancer. It's impossible. Do you know how much student debt I'm going to have after I get done with the undergrad and then after I get done with graduate school? I don't even know if I should go, even though it's what I think I'm supposed to do. It's impossible. I lived my life with my parents for 18 years. I've seen the way they live. There's no way that they're going to give their life to Jesus. It's impossible. Every single one of us have declared something to be impossible in our life. And what God is asking us to do is look past the impossible and asking us just to trust him. Bring him into the equation. Be okay with not knowing the answer or what's going to happen. Remember and be reminded that he is for you and not against you. I, I have such a dream for this town and this campus. I think over the last couple of years, Oasis has averaged like 300 college students and young adults, which is incredible. It's, it's the biggest young adult movement and college student movement in South Dakota easily. And there are thousands of people in this town who don't know Jesus. And sometimes I get caught up in the trap of thinking it's too many, it's impossible, there's no way. But I'm asking you to come alongside with me to add God into that equation, believing that thousands of young adults will come to know Jesus. I don't care when. I don't even care how. I'm praying and believing that it's going to happen. I'm trying to be willing to look past what seems to be so impossible. With that, if you grabbed a connection card, <laughs> Brendan had this idea last year, and we didn't do it, and I'm frustrated about it, but thank God for New Year's. On the very bottom of this connection card, it says a person to pray for. And what I want you to do during our prayer time in a little bit, before you leave tonight, is to put a name of someone down here who you know in your life needs Jesus. And I'm asking specifically that you'd put someone down who you know just needs Jesus because we all need prayer. 
And we're going to give these to you every single week. So there's going to be more opportunity for you to put someone down who needs prayer. But tonight I'm going to ask you during our prayer time to write someone down who you know needs Jesus. And you're going to hand them in to us, either at the info center or at the back. There's buckets you can drop them in as you leave. I want you to know that we as a staff and our leadership team will be praying with you for that person to know Jesus. And I think that's a start in what God desires to do to have thousands of young adults just in this community come to know him, to trust him, and to live for him. Be willing to look past the impossible. Are you willing? John 12, verses 20 through 22. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip went to tell Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip in return told Jesus. Greeks, most likely even in this time or in this period and when this was written, meant most likely Gentiles. Gentiles from the higher up Jewish religious leaders were not seen as pure people. Were not put on the same level as Jewish people. And right now, with Philip following Jesus, there was no precedent sent on Greeks or Gentiles, those outside of the Jewish, Jewish nationality or faith, to come and to talk to a rabbi or have a conversation with who is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so Philip, which is a Greek name, which is why these Greeks most likely went to Philip, gets approached by these people who want not just to have a meet, like a simple greet, meet and greet with Jesus, but they like want to sit down and have a full-fledged conversation and ask him questions and probably ask, hey, we want to follow you. But there was no precedent sent for Gentiles specifically following the Messiah, but being this close to following a rabbi who was teaching and who had disciples. There's no precedent sent for Gentiles and Greeks to be disciples. And so Philip doesn't know what to do. He gets thrown into a situation that I don't think he knows how to respond to. So what does he do? He goes to Andrew, who is a little older, who is also from the same town that he was from. Andrew, who is the brother of Peter, who is the oldest disciple and apostle of Jesus. He goes to Andrew, me thinking like, okay, if I'm Philip, this is one of those things where it's like, I have no idea what I'm going to say to these guys. I don't know what to do. I'm going to go to someone who I know is smarter than me, who I think trusts Jesus more, and say, hey, I'm going to make it their problem. Not even making their promise, like, I need help here. And so Philip, being unashamed to not know what to do, goes to Andrew and asks for help. You'll hear me say this a ton. We as followers of Jesus were not meant to live this life alone, in solitude, by ourselves. And by this life, I mean a life of faith, fully surrendered to Jesus. Not just today, not just this year, but in your life, be willing to ask for help. Be willing to know that there's some things and situations you're not going to know how to address, how to answer, and how to come up to. But be willing to ask for help. We have opportunities for you to join a small group. If you want to join a small group, a group of believers coming together to grow in faith. Get a part of a small group. Find like-minded people who love Jesus. So you can have that community around you to be able to ask for help when help is needed because there's going to be times in your life when you're not going to know what to do and we were not meant to live this life of faith on our own. 
All right, last one. John 14, 1 through 9. This is one of my favorite just chapters in general of Scripture. This is where Jesus comes and he promises the Holy Spirit who is the counselor and the helper. This is where Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Just these like classic verses that we all love to quote. And in this, we have a response from Philip, which I think is incredible. And even what's more incredible is a response to Jesus to Philip when Philip asks a certain question. So John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time. Worship team, you guys can come on back up. Philip, who I think in his heart and in his motivation and intention, asked a real question of desiring to see the Father. He's been following Jesus for years at this moment. And he asks this question, and the response we get from Jesus tells me a couple things. One, it's that in pursuing and following Jesus, he missed one of the main things that Jesus came to do, which was to show us who God was. If you want to know who God is, look at the character of Jesus. If you want to know God's heart for you, look at the heart of Jesus and how he treats people. And Philip asks this question, wanting to know and see the Father. And Jesus is heartbroken, I think. He says, do you not know me? I've shown you who the Father is. As I've walked in this life, I've shown you what he's like. And, and the second thing that I see, I think, from what Philip's trying to get at is, he has this Old Testament, this, the Hebrew Bible, is our Old Testament. And he's read this and had this read to him every single day for his entire life. And in this, he sees these magnificent, magnificent, majestic, powerful stories of how God shows up to his people. I think he's reminded of many times of when God shows up in the burning bush for Moses. When for Isaiah, the angel comes in a vision and dream and it's powerful, and it's just amazing. It's, it's literally awesome. And so because they haven't had an understanding that Jesus came to show who the Father was and who the Father is, Philip thinks that the only way for him to understand who God is is to see, I think, God's power on display. Because that's what he's read in his Hebrew Bible his entire life. That's what's been told to him. And I think he just misses it. And I think we get there too and we have these moments where we want to see that big demonstration. 
that powerful demonstration. But he's saying, no, I have showed you. You do know him because you know me. And it's not knowing in this like intellectual, uh, intellectual way or these details types way. Like, I don't know if you listen to our podcast, but how Brennan thinks he knows Justin Bieber and like his best friends with him. See, if you listen to our podcast, it's real. You can ask him. It's, it's an intimate knowing. It's like, yes, I just don't know about who you are and your name and who your family is, but I know intimately about your heart and your character. What your motives are for doing the things that you do. The fourth one that I see in Philip's life is, will you just be willing to know Jesus? So you get this progression from being willing to come and see Jesus, and then you get thrown into situations where you have to be willing to look past the impossible. And there are moments where you need to be willing to ask for help. All leading, I think, to the culmination of allowing us and helping us really know Jesus. And Jesus isn't trying to condemn Philip and make him feel bad. He's trying to help him understand that in his response, he tries to make it clear that what is needed is not a demonstration of power like he's read in the Old Testament. Or just knowing specific details about his personality. But it's an understanding, a simple, simple understanding of his person. A simple understanding of Jesus' character. Because if you know Jesus' character in his heart, you know who God is. As we continue in worship through music and song and prayer, the first question I asked you on this idea and thought of being willing was will you be willing this year? That's it. And so I want to move from that as we're just going to take a few seconds and moments just to pray and for you to get alone and with the Father, even as the worship team plays and sings, just spend some time with Jesus right now. And I want to move from will you be willing to are you willing? Are you willing to come and see Jesus even when you don't have all the answers or don't understand everything? Are you willing to look past the impossible in situations where the outcome seems so unlikely? Are you willing to ask for help when it's needed because we all need help? And finally, are you willing just to know Jesus, to spend time with him, to get to know his heart and his character for you? And it can be known through this. Yes, I can tell you and, and we can preach it to you and you'll hear it from us. But get alone with him. Pray with him. To him. Listen to him. Read his word. Know Jesus. God's, man, I just, I believe so much that God has incredible things, not just for tonight, but for this year. He's going to move in ways that I think for us are even uncomprehendable and, and, and not understandable. And so let's be willing to go on this journey together in pursuing Jesus with everything that we have and being unashamed of our Savior and King. I'm excited for kickoff next week. I am. To eat food and play games with you guys, like that's awesome. But I'm excited for another opportunity, not just next week, but for the week after, to come together with you 
and worship Jesus, to grow in faith, to be encouraged, to encourage one another, to pray for and with you and to have you pray for and with me. Thank you for being here tonight. I, I just, I hope you know how much we love you. How happy I am to see you guys. How excited I am for what God is gonna do and for what he's doing now. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your goodness and faithfulness in our life. We thank you that you don't expect us to be perfect, but you desire for us just to be willing. And in the desire to be willing, you actually show us what we should be doing. You encourage us with how to worship, how to live, how to be all out for you. Thank you that you don't desire perfection, but you desire willingness and faithfulness. We give you everything we are. We surrender wholly to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.